are tuning in to the Love Breezy Bree Yoga podcast. My name is Bree, and you can find me at lovebreezybreeyoga.com. Check out the show notes for more information, including a link to my website. Thank you so much for listening. Namaste. Namaste, Yoga Podcast listeners. I am so excited to share with you a live online workshop that I had the honor and pleasure of being a part of, where we discuss the importance of autonomy in your yoga practice, why honoring your body is so foundational to having a lifelong yoga practice. So I hope you enjoy this session. This is just session one. We have a few more sessions lined up that I hope to be able to pre-record and share with you yoga listeners on Yoga Podcast. So thank you again for listening. I'll meet you on the other side. Namaste. Wow! Thank you for that amazing introduction. I am so excited to be able to be a part of this online live teaching workshop series. We are going to be discussing how you can really understand your body because it is true that we are all different. We are all individuals just like your fingerprint is not made to match another, so is your own personal practice. It is truly yours. And I do not think that we emphasize this enough in group practice settings, and so I'm really honored to be able to be here today. Now, as you heard in the introduction, I do specialize in trauma-informed practices such as yoga, but includes dance and art and other disciplines. I have learned in being a sexual abuse advocate and rape crisis center counselor, which are connected to each other, but definitely different um, areas of focus for me, that this is really important. This is something where we have learned, and this is a human way of being, so there's no right or wrong to it. It just is that how we see ourselves in large part can be through the perception of how someone else sees us. A lot of what we have to show up to in life is through someone else's thought process. So if we have to focus on a project for school or for work, it is based on the guidelines and rules and regulations of some other force outside of ourselves, right? It's someone else's rules. It's someone else's guidelines. It's someone else's thoughts, someone else's expectations, very rarely is it our own. We have grown up this way, and there are many reasons for that. There's a reason for a system, a discipline, a way of going about doing things, and most of it is so that we can have a majority rules concept, a way that really factors in what is considered to be average or normal for most. However, when it comes to our own body, there is an infinite wisdom that we need to really tap into and be guided by. And it's something that many of us have never learned how to do, and especially those of us who have suffered from trauma. 
And even more important, if your trauma was sexually induced. Now, one in three persons has suffered from a sexually induced trauma. Now, this doesn't mean that you were outright violated sexually, although it can. It could also be, you know, microtransgressions of sexual traumas, which I'm not going to go into in today's workshop because that's not the purpose of it. But we will be hosting more in-depth workshops talking about sexual abuse and what that can look like and show up as in your own life. You'd be surprised how even just in society norms, um, those who identify as female might have more traumatic experiences that are sexually induced than those who um, are not. So again, I don't want to go too deep into that, but just opening up the portal or the gateway to that conversation in later workshops and teachings that we will be hosting in this track. So look forward to having you join in on those as well. Now, when we talk about your body and your yoga practice, it's important to realize that autonomy for what works for you is really important. We are all different. We are all different shapes and sizes. We have different histories, ailments, injuries, things that are acute, things that are chronic, things that we've suffered from, things that we've forgotten exist, stressors, emotional reasons why we have a hard time connecting back to self. The list is infinite. It really is. But our understanding of self is a beautiful way to reconnect back to the purpose of living. For many of us, this is important. For all of us, I'd like to think this is something that we should really um, be encouraged to lean into. Now, I like to tell my students that you're only as old as your spine. And that's really important because the flexibility and strength of your spine really does have a lot to do with how we utilize our bodies in disciplines like yoga, but can be anything from running to aerobics to dance to weightlifting to other variations of body movement practices. Now, when we think about yoga, though, one of the things that's important is how you can start to tap into what your body needs, but also honoring and respecting what shows up in a yoga practice, whether you're in a studio class, you're one-on-one -on -one with a teacher, you're in a private lesson, or you're just practicing for yourself. Now, as you heard in the introduction, I also have a podcast called Yoga Podcast, and it is three plus years ongoing where I teach lots of different philosophies and concepts under this vast umbrella of yoga. Yoga is a beautiful philosophy within itself with numerous disciplines that live under it, and it is a lifelong practice. Now, it is a physical practice, but it is so much more than that. But in thinking about the body, I want you to think about the body from not only physical, but also introspectively, right? Making that mind-body connection, which leads us into more of the spiritual awakening, which, yes, can be very esoteric, but 
is also just a beautiful self-identity process. We do that with the chakra system, which is something that I like to teach my students. Now to give you a quick rundown, for many of you this might be new information, for most of you this might be something that you've heard before. When I think about the chakra system, I think about the root to rise idea, the concept of a tree that's really rooted beneath the earth's surface and rising up toward the sun, the sun being this spiritual awakening of understanding self from a deeper level, from a faith-based, hope-filled, dream, dreamful idealism. Now, however rooted you are is how safe and secure you feel. So if your roots are deep, deep, deep beneath the earth's surface, you can imagine how more challenging it's going to be to uproot that tree from the ailments of life, the wind, the rain, the storms that may come, right? But if the roots are superficially beneath the earth's surface, just barely taking root, that also can symbolize how you are feeling safe and secure from that perspective as well. So I like to think of this as how safe and secure are you? Depending on that answer will then translate to the rest of the chakra system in identifying where you are showing up in your life on a daily basis. Now, nothing static, so something that can take place in your life can uproot you a bit or wholeheartedly. You know, a trauma, um, a situation, an area of life that makes you feel unsafe, insecure can change the trajectory of the rest of how you feel. And for some, this is a daily check-in process. For others, maybe it's weekly, monthly. It just depends on where you're at in your life, in your healing spectrum, on the healing spectrum, I should say. So I check in this way. How safe and secure do I feel? Do I feel that I can self-identify back to who I truly am? Do I feel... Like, I know who that is. Do I feel like I self-identify with myself from a sexual perspective, a self-identity perspective? Do I feel creative? Do I feel self-empowered? Am I able to forgive myself and others? Am I able to listen to opposing ideas and viewpoints? maybe even my own? Can I speak my truth? Can I tell my truth? Can I stick up for myself in a way that also allows room to learn? Can I trust my own thoughts, my own intuition? Am I connected to my intuition? Or do I lean into others to make decisions for self? Do I have a sense of hope faith, connection to something that's bigger than self? Where do I fit in on this spectrum? And there's so much more to this, um, which I talk about a lot on my podcast, a lot in my personal teachings. And this is something that I do like to teach my students who have suffered from trauma And there's lots of different ways to teach this, whether it's overtly through the chakra system or 
If it's more covertly, which is just learning about emotions, learning about self from a way of not being able to do so throughout maybe your entire life, maybe ever. Maybe you've always thought of yourself as being a giver, not a taker, but what does that really mean? You know, there's a lot of ways that we mask our true emotions, our true status and how we feel. Many of us do not even know how to check in with how we feel on any given moment or time of the day or just in general. When I teach yoga, I like to open up with an intention, a mantra, and then a check-in, an evaluation of self. How do I feel physically? What did I bring to my practice with me today? Do I feel an ailment? Do I have an old injury? Is something hurting? Is there a nagging pain? Is there an, a, a sharp pain that I might be feeling? How do I feel emotionally? Do I feel sad? Do I feel happy? Do I feel stressed? What are the thoughts that are coming through my mind? Checking in with self. And then as I go through my practice on the mat, what we call asana, the poses and the postures, is there a reason why I'm having trouble balancing on one foot? Maybe yesterday's practice was like my rock star practice and today is just not going so well? Is it because of that achy shoulder that I have from volleyball practice or I slept wrong or maybe it's something emotional that I'm feeling? This is all really important so that you're not just going through the motions. Now, I like to think of a journal as being a prop, a yoga prop. You know, in yoga, we have props like the blocks, the straps, sometimes it's a wall, even your mat is a prop. Maybe your journal can be something that you bring to your practice with you. And then you have what I like to call journal prompts because throughout your practice, you're actually prompted to think about something or maybe something just floats into your consciousness. You know, we talk a lot about shadow sides and there's so many things that we discuss in trauma healing practices. All of it's to just bring awareness so that you're not just going through the motions day to day. Think about your life like a business. There's a time for planning. There's a time for goal setting. There's a time for strategy. But most of the time you are in the operations and the the tactical side of your business or your life. Most of the time you have to get up, you have to get ready, you have to eat, you have to clean, you have to work, you have to study, you have to survive. That's exactly how the biology of the body is set up. Most of everything is automatic. You don't have to think about taking inhales and exhales. Your spine is set up to protect your body. Your nervous system is set up to keep you living, surviving. But we do want to take time to consciously take inhales and exhales, activating that parasympathetic part of the nervous system. The rest and digest. They say that there's good stress and there's bad stress. We want to take time to set our intentions to activate 
the good stress over the bad stress. Good stress is balancing on one foot intentionally, right? Yoga can be hard. Going on a run, lifting weights, taking that dance class, journaling, going to therapy. Those can all be good stress or, or good stressful events. <laughs> Bad stress is running for your life, you know? Not knowing how to deal with emotions, processing how you feel, dealing with a trigger, Now, I am from the school of thought that most of us, if not all of us, have suffered from some form of trauma. And we have triggers that show up every single day. Someone can say something wrong and we are triggered. So we blow a very small comment out of proportion because we're not able to identify that it wasn't what that person said or how they said it. It was a trigger of something from the past. Again, this is deep work, lifetime worthy work. But so is your practice of yoga. It is a lifelong practice. Understanding your body, understanding how you think, why you feel the way you do, your belief systems, your spirituality, your connection of all of those things is important. But it is lifelong and it is not easy work. So with all of that said, why do we emphasize the importance of getting to know your own body when we think about yoga? Especially when yoga has many systems already built into them, into the philosophy. You know, we think about Bikram yoga, Iyengar yoga, maybe even Ashtanga yoga. You hear your yoga teacher telling you to modify a posture. I like to think of, instead of a posture being modified, I like to think of it as just being on a spectrum of of levels. You know, we're not taking a pose and changing it because you're not good enough to do it, so to speak, but rather we're progressing a posture from one polarity to the next. It is capable of all things on this spectrum. Just where do you want your body to be on that spectrum on any given day? Why is this important? Because it allows you to identify with what you need. And your needs are ever-changing. You're not always going to want to do headstand or even be capable of it. You might have a perfect physical day. Nothing aches. You're not exhausted. Your thoughts are positive. You're balancing perfectly on one foot, whatever it may be. And the very next day, you might just be a little bit under the weather, a little exhausted, didn't eat properly, didn't get enough sleep. You have something on your mind. Something traumatic happened in your own personal life. But you're still needing to push through whatever that looks like for you. 
Yoga teaches us how to do that, not only on the mat, but off of the mat as well. So, I wanted to open with all of that because one of the things that I love about the teachings of your body, your yoga, is the idea of what stops me. When you show up to life, to your day-to-day life, you know, you wake up, you give your gratitude to the day, you set your intention for what you want your day to look like, and as you go through your day, just like as you go through your yoga practice, a question that should linger in your subconscious should be, what stops me? And there may be a very valid answer to that. What stops me from touching my toes today? Well, I am having pain in my shoulder. Or, what stops me from being creative today? Maybe the answer is nothing. But it's a valid question to keep in the back of your mind. It also requires you to think about yourself introspectively, right? You're unable to focus on something externally stopping you if you're internally processing your thoughts first. Doesn't mean that the external doesn't exist. It means that you're not just relying on external factors. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with my teachings or my work, One of the largest proponents of my foundational teachings is autonomy. Finding sacred space, creating sacred space, and having a personal practice is so important to me as a yoga teacher and practitioner. Doesn't mean I don't believe in group settings, studio settings, but I do wholeheartedly believe in personal practices. Now I take it a step further because I believe in intuitive practice where you just get on your mat or whatever, doesn't even have to be a mat, and you allow your body to move. Now I am a former dancer and so part of me connecting back to my own self as I am a trauma survivor as well was just to be okay with my body, how I move, how I feel, and therefore being okay with how I think, my perception of the world. Now, our perceptions are ever-changing because it will, the moment you learn something new, your perception just changed. Think about that. The moment you learn something new, you've just changed your perception. That's why it's so important to be rooted, safe, and secure, and grounded so that you can lean into your sacral chakra of self-identity and creativity. You want to be open to learning. Learning the why. But also understanding that you'll never know everything. The moment you think you've know, you know something in its totality is the moment that you've become ignorant. Now, I am a scientist. You know, my undergrad is in scientific studies. 
at one point in my life I was pre-med and although I didn't move forward in the discipline of medicine I never stopped being a scientist I never stopped asking why as a yoga practitioner you are invited to be a scientist of your life you're invited to look at the world through a microscope being able to see things beyond the filter because let's face it we are all living a filtered life both figuratively and in some cases literally with social media and the world that we live in today life is very much filtered and we have to truly understand that everything you see is filtered to the point where everything we say and do is starting to mimic that perception which is kind of scary when you think about it because authenticity is so filtered that we think that we're being authentic when we're still being a filtered variation version of being authentic (laughs) because it starts at birth in most cases we are born into systems we are born into perceptions, thought processes, and expectations. And we're not meant to necessarily hate on that thought, right? This isn't a moment of like, you know, rebel against the system, rebel against the machine, although some of you might actively be doing that. (laughs) Yoga practitioners tends to bring out also a very uniqueness in wanting to be, you know, warriors in that way as well. And I applaud that. But many of us still have to show up in society and conform. And there's a morality to that. And it's beautiful. But when it comes to our own autonomy, I want you to be able to show up in your life every single day and know when you're masking and filtering and doing that with purpose, but when you're also being vulnerable and introspective and knowing the difference, because that's what brings upon true wisdom and self-identity. And that, friends, is the beauty of your body in your yoga. Now, I wanna give um, a quick lesson And it's not my lesson, although I will interject and reiterate it through my own perception and my own lenses. The history of teaching alignment in America as taught by Paul Grilly. And Paul Grilly is the best-selling DVD creator, Anatomy for Yoga. And many yoga teacher training programs utilize some of the similar and same teachings by way of the Yoga Sutras through Patanjali, but also um, in a systemic way so that there's this average, which we will talk about a bit as well, way of going about teaching and practicing yoga. Doesn't make it right, but also doesn't make it wrong. Now, 
Assuming that everyone is the same makes the teaching of yoga simpler, but unfortunately not safer. We are not all the same. Just as you will would be ill-advised to take someone else's prescription jugs or drive while wearing someone else's glasses, an alignment cue that works well for one yoga student may be quite harmful to you. Now, where did this emphasis on universal alignment cues come from? When did the rules of alignment in yoga classes become the norm? Rules of alignment became both rigid and pervasive with the rise of the yoga teacher training program. Teacher training programs were rare until the late 1980s and early 90s. There were some yoga studios in Los Angeles and San Francisco, but their bread and butter were daily and weekly classes, not yoga teacher training programs. Now, before the rise of the yoga teacher training program, yoga teachers actually trained by just showing up and actively practicing. Therefore, when the head teacher needed a substitute, they would just choose from a regular practitioner. That practitioner would then guide more so than teach those classes. The yoga culture was similar to the surfing culture, which was you just learned from others and practiced on your own. You occasionally practiced in groups, but mostly you practiced personally, autonomously. When you did practice in groups, it was smaller groups and it was informal, not with what we know as today in studio practice. Studio practice really did come from the arts, such as yoga, or excuse me, such as dance, ballet, those types of arts. Those were very structured artistic forms of practicing any discipline. And yoga then became an art form in that same way. Now yoga did benefit from those modern fitness group classes that were inspired by those art forms such as ballet and, and dance by way of gymnastics, aerobics and this isn't just a western idealism this is something that indian yogis that traveled the western culture brought about so it's not good and it's not bad it it's just is okay now yoga probably and, and some believe would maybe have never become popular if it wasn't for the vinyasa style of yoga. <clears throat> Patabi Joyce, the creator of this style, this Ashtanga style, is what really started to create these larger group-like classes. This very athletic type of yoga, this what later became a more hot yoga influenced practice that we later saw with Bikram and the likes. 
this started to explode in such a way that there needed to be teachers produced quickly or at least rapidly. Therefore, creating this 200-hour systemized idea of training. And therefore, Iyengar became a style of yoga that then birthed this teaching alignment style, which now we have learned most recently isn't the end-all be-all way of teaching the quote-unquote proper way of yoga as injury from what yoga should be a proactive response to has been in a way a, a producing factor of and so we want to appreciate the art form of alignment right i am a former ballerina so i know all too well the beauty of alignment as an art form but yoga is so much more than a form of art a way that it is perceived through the eyes and that is why getting back to that former idea of yoga which was this autonomous introspective practice is so important as a former ballerina myself injury was a part of it's like anything else with athleticism and performance it's injury is a part of the I don't want to I don't know what the word I'm looking for I guess the uh it's a means to the end. But yoga is not a performance art. And that's why as a yoga teacher, especially a teacher that specializes in trauma-informed practices such as yoga, leans more to the Ayurvedic therapeutic practice of yoga than that performance side of yoga, which should not even exist at all. But we can't help but as humans to utilize our eyes, therefore filtering our own perception and perception of others unto us and vice versa in the practice of yoga, which is why my own podcast specializes in audio classes. And I've had this internal battle with teaching video classes, which are so popular because how can you see something with your eyes and not filter out the performance aspect, that art form of performance, that this person looks like they're doing it better than I can? Or I'm going to force my body into a posture because I want to show up for the skillful side of the practice instead of the philosophical side or the therapeutic side. Now, I will say, because we are learning more and more about the science of yoga, the anatomical teachings of yoga, not just the alignment side, although like anything else, balance is important. Everything has a spectrum and there's a polarity of, of 
the pro and the con. We want to bring in balance. We want to bridge the gap between flexibility and strength. To give you a quick idea of that, as a yoga teacher, whenever I have a highly flexible student, I want them to focus more on strength and stability. When I have a highly well, when I have a strength-based student, so let me give you an example. Someone, let's say, who is a bodybuilder who can deadlift double their weight. Well, their lack of flexibility and mobility could still cause injury. So we want to teach them more of that. What we don't want to do is lean into a flexible student's mindset of mobility and lean into a strength-based student's idea of stability. We want to create balance for the body. Balance for the body then creates that mind-body connection and therefore allows that introspective side to shine. It is a practice that becomes meditative and mindful on and off of the mat. This is why yoga differs from pretty much every other discipline I can personally think of outside of other martial art type disciplines and practices like Tai Chi, for instance. But when we think about most physical practices or even most mindful practices, yoga is so special, Tai Chi is so special because it bridges the mind-body connection. That gap of balance is restored. So, therefore, asking yourself regularly what stops me is a way of checking in with self. It's an easy checklist that can be taught to children and adults alike without that need to ask yourself deeper questions that could bring up triggers when you're not ready for that, you haven't done enough work of healing which is something that we all are consistently as mentioned on the spectrum of is thinking about the intention i am unique making that your mantra when you make the i am unique statement your mantra you are leaning in to the intention of doing what's right quote unquote what's best better way of saying that for you I do see that the moderators are filtering out some questions for me so I'll make sure to leave a little bit of time for that as we're coming up closer to the end so one of the things I want to lead you um, or leave you I should say with um, before we end this particular part of my session today is making sure that you set an intention upon waking and you let go and allow your body to rest with intention for sleep. Just like when you set out to, I like to teach my uh, students in trauma-informed practices automatic writing, you open up your journal, you set the intention, you tell your mind, to release and let go through unconditional love. And you allow whatever to come forward with maybe a few journal prompts to come forward. And you write those down. 
And just like at a yoga practice, you begin your practice with an intention, but you end with Shavasana, which is a beautiful way to let go and release all that came before you, but also seal in all that was learned. Remember, we want to be the student of our lives daily. We never want to quit learning. That too is how I want you to think of your day. We do not actively need to remember to breathe, to digest, to do what our body is able to do in its own infinite wisdom throughout the day. But when we do take moments to intentionally take deep inhalations and exhalations, we do activate that parasympathetic nervous system. We do activate that rest and digest. We do let go of the need for our nervous system to overreact because its entire goal is to protect and survive. We do lean into a more restful state of being. Even if it's fleeting, it is so healthful for the cells of our bodies. There's so much we still do not know about our own biology. So all we can do is have the intention to do what's right for us. Learning to allow yourself to be vulnerable with yourself is not something that is inherent, but is something that we have to self-teach. Remembering that there is not one right way of doing anything. There's just a way that we've learned how to do something. Yoga included. Your body is different from mine and mine is different from yours. No two fingerprints are the same. Learning to realize that everything that you see and do is filtered through a perception. What people perceive of you is not true and what you perceive of yourself is not even true. And that is okay. Just understanding that sometimes takes the load off. Remembering I am unique and so is your yoga. The nature of human variation has largely been ignored in both medicine and the fitness world, which now includes the yoga industry. It is more important to know what your body needs than how to properly do something, as the word properly has infinite meanings and definitions for your body. So now this sounds more complicated than it needs to, perhaps, right? Because if you're not the average and you're not fitting into the norm, then where do you belong? Well, I want you to think about it like this. If I am teaching a prenatal yoga class, and the normal student to arrive 
to that class is a pregnant female and the average pregnant female in that class is between the first and second trimester that doesn't mean that I'm not going to have men in that class supporting perhaps the mother of their child doesn't mean I will not have women in that class that are not pregnant but are trying to become pregnant or postpartum it doesn't mean that I will not have women in that class that are not in the third trimester all those things are possible it just means that the average and the norm are going to show up as the average and the norm and it's only based on the statistics of my classes where I live when I teach so on and so forth so remembering that you can recognize what the average or the norm is for an alignment, a cue, a posture. But allowing yourself to appreciate that you may fall into that sometimes and out of it other times. And it could be based on anything happening at any moment in your life. If you practice yoga on a Saturday morning at 7 a.m., that practice might look different on a Monday morning at 7 a.m. Or on a Tuesday evening at 6. Or Friday afternoon at 1. Or before you eat or after you eat. Or if you're at a certain part of your menstrual cycle, if that is applicable to you so on and so forth. There's so much data that you can analyze if that was something you wanted to do. But ultimately, the biggest part of being a scientist of your own life is to just respect yourself, your autonomy, your needs, and ask yourself that very question, what stops me? Knowing that you are unique and checking in with self. So that concludes my session for today, Your Body, Your Yoga. I look forward to the next session that I get to teach. Thank you so much for having me here. I want to go ahead and answer a few questions that the moderators have flagged for me. Um, the first question that looks like has been asked, what are some tips for a pain-free practice? Wow. Um, so I am going to make an assumption that you mean physically, uh, physical pain, because as you know, I teach trauma-informed yoga, so pain shows up in lots of different ways. If you mean something else, um, definitely uh, just uh, type in the chat box. Pain-free practice. Well, first and foremost is identifying if you have any pain. If you have sharp pain, acute pain, um, pain that prevents mobility, prevents practice. Um, a good example could be menstrual cramps, can be um, an injury that you're dealing with then your practice might not be physical at all. It might literally be 
legs up the wall or shavasana or it might just be meditation or breath work. Um, Working with a teacher one-on-one if your pain is chronic. Getting um, your medical professional to give you the permission that you might need if you are dealing with some sort of an ailment. Um, is really important. So your practice should never be painful, essentially. But understanding what levels of pain you experience is important. I sometimes suffer from just a lingering lower back pain. And it could be because I spend a lot of time standing or um, I have some foot issues from years of being a dancer that just keep my hips a little bit out of alignment so I'm constantly needing to work on hip openers in order to mitigate some of my lower back pain but this is stuff that I know about my body so if I show up to my practice and I have a little bit of an achy lower back I don't really think about that as being um, something I need to be concerned with more than I need to realize that I need to focus on certain postures or using certain props So again, just learning about your body is really important and um, identifying what that pain is. But some tips for having a pain-free practice in general is being well hydrated before you practice. This is important. Um, It prevents possible, um, you know, issues that might happen with pratyama work, you know, doing Deep inhalations and exhalations could dehydrate the body. So making sure you're super hydrated. Also keeping the mobility in your ligaments is important due to hydration. Digestive issues can come up if you're dehydrated. So you might have, um, you know, not to be too gruesome, but you might have, you know, IBS or constipation because you are super dehydrated, which means you might have stomach cramps, you might have bloating, gas, all those things are going to affect your on the mat practice, especially if you're doing twists. Um, you know, those things might show up during your practice and be really uncomfortable. Um, so hydration is probably number one. Number two to hydration would be um, appropriate sleep, making sure you're getting enough rest. And those two things will really mitigate a lot of issues with your practice that are outside of injury and ailments. Another question here is, um, what are my, what do I advise to be some, am I reading this right? Yoga prompts or uh, journal prompts for your yoga practice? Okay, I think I'm reading that right. It's a little mingled here. Um, Well, if you're practicing on your own, let's say you're using a guided practice, like a guided audio practice, you can always press pause if something comes up, rather something triggering or something that prompts you to be more introspective, like a thought that you might be having during your practice. That's a good time to bring out your journal. You can set your intention at the beginning of your class that this is going to be a journal prompt class. You might have three questions already lined up. Um, There's lots of guided practices. You can check out my podcast, Yoga Podcast. Um, I have hundreds of audio yoga classes, some that are guided and mindful practices specifically for this purpose. Um, 
But you can just set your intention at the beginning of your class. You can say, I want to utilize my yoga um, class today as a journal writing prompt class. So I invite ideas to flow through my mind. Um, But it's such a beautiful practice. It could take over an hour if this is something you really want to delve deep into. You can light candles. You can set a mood. You can make this a weekly self-care practice. You can reward yourself with a delicious hot cup of tea that you sip on while you are journaling throughout your practice. Um, You can pick five poses that you know um you journal with and that might be something that you could do one-on-one with a teacher as well that's something that i like to do with my students where we have five postures for instance we'll do a balancing on one foot posture we will do some sort of a bend um maybe forward fold or back bend and then afterward we will jot down what came up for us did we feel any ailments did we um want to push our bodies further than our bodies wanted to go so that's always a really great idea that's something i love 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 to do and actually something i should do more on yoga podcasts actually and in these workshop settings so great question okay the moderator tells me i have room and time for one more question um what's my best sorry give me just a second (laughs) i'm dropping all my paperwork here um what is my best advice for a new yoga student ah that's a very open-ended question my best advice is to ask yourself why you're wanting to practice yoga And not to judge your question back to yourself, but just understand your why. When I first came to yoga in a very intentional way, I had just finished running um, a kind of a painful marathon. And I had a knee injury, a hip injury, and I came to yoga asana practice purely to help heal some of that physical ailments and I actually practiced hot yoga to help me through it I also took a yoga um, for my back workshop that lasted like six to eight weeks long because I was having lower back issues as well and I wasn't aligning my pelvis right from all the months of running Um, that was my why and it was important that I understood my why at that time because that helped me with my consistency and my commitment so what is your why why are you wanting to practice yoga and then as i got deeper into my yoga practice it grew organically and i think that's important if you're not sure of your why then investigate it really stop and think about it because you have a why even if it seems a bit superficial and you don't want to admit it to yourself maybe your why is you want to do that handstand that you see on instagram or you want to look better in your yoga pants i'm being really superficial here because for some that is their why and that is okay but let's let's understand it and then let's figure out how we can get deeper into the practice from that space so um just understanding your why and and going from there what are you hoping yoga is going to accomplish for you what is your expectation because you have to do the work yoga does not do anything (laughs) yoga meets you where you're at um 
But that's also really beautiful because no matter what your religion, your body type, shape, size, your age, how you self-identify, your culture, whatever it may be, yoga will meet you where you're at. And that's so beautiful because there's a teacher out there, a guide that can help guide you to where you need to be if you're, for instance, if you're a really religious Christian, you know, and you have some discernment of practicing the philosophy of yoga, there are beautiful teachers who specialize in this area. Um, One of my best friends, for instance, is a devout Christian who is very, very cautious about integrating yoga philosophy with um, a more, you know, Christian, Christianity-based teaching and style of guiding her students and being mindful of what she wants to um, help them, you know, discern with their own religious philosophies and practices with that of the Yoga Sutras and how to do that. Um, as well as those who are, you know, very religious in, in Hindu and Hindi practices, or those who are atheists, or those who don't have any issues with their religious background in yoga, but have other issues, um, that they want to really work on, such as other, um, like in my case, working with those who have suffered from trauma or those who have eating disorders or the list is infinite, um, beautifully infinite. Um, And our understanding of what we think of yoga may be really finite and we need to branch outside of that by doing the work of um, coming to these types of workshops and listening to podcasts such as yoga podcasts, but there are many out there and being open and understanding that your own personal practice can be a beautiful um, connection back to self that, that you have yet to discover. So that is my time. We're coming up on an hour. Um, So thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of this process with you. I would like to end my session today with bringing us back to an introspective practice. Let's begin by just finding ourselves seated or lying down. If you choose to stand, feeling yourself grounded to the earth. Feeling that energy of feeling safe and secure because you're creating your own sacred space. If it is in your practice, I invite you to close your eyes or just soften your gazes or focus somewhere where it allows you to have internal reflection. Begin to feel the breath entering and exiting your body with every inhalation being more intentional and purposeful than the last. Allowing the mantra, I am unique, to flow through your mind. Allowing yourself throughout your day on and off of the mat to ask yourself what's stopping you. Not as a challenge, but more as a true question of introspection. Why do you need to slow down, 
pause, have boundaries, or even stop? Or do you? Can you go a little bit further? And if so, allowing yourself to do so. Remembering that there are many ways to practice yoga as no two fingerprints are the same. Either are two practices and understanding your own practice without the filter and perceptions of what others see you should do or what you see others doing, setting that aside so that you can truly connect back to self, being a scientist of your own practice, analyzing through journaling, trial and error, being patient and wise with your body, so that you can mitigate harm and injury, but rather be proactive and activating the healthy benefits that yoga has to offer. Learning what's best safe and suited to you. Take a deep inhalation and exhale. Thank you for allowing me to guide you. Please do go in peace. Namaste. I am so honored that you are listening to the Love Breezy Bree Yoga podcast. Never miss an episode. Download the free app on iTunes, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher. Please also rate the show with five stars. I would greatly appreciate that. Visit me on my website at lovebreezybreeyoga.com. I include free yoga sequences every single month. You can leave a comment or message me and we can connect. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful personal practice. Namaste.